As I mentioned earlier tonight, um, there's a lot of, of us who are experiencing various levels of warfare and things going on right now. And so the Bible teaches us that the things in the Old Testament were written for our instruction. So some things that we can learn by looking at some examples of Old Testament um, happenings. So would you open your Bibles, please? And we're going to look at 2 Kings chapter 6. Now, the people who were living at the time this was written were under a different covenant with Almighty God. There were some different things in operation. So there's not going to be a 100% application to what we live in because we're living in a covenant of grace. But there are some key principles here that I want us to look at to help us overcome and be victorious in every aspect of warfare that you and I are facing right now or what's on the horizon for each one of us. Because this is going to be a tremendous season of victory. But you know that victory also means battle. Y'all realize that, right? You don't get victory without having battle. Well, this year we're expecting to see tremendous things happen. Things that God has been prophesying, decreeing, declaring over a long time. We're going to see them begin to come to pass this year and next. And we want to begin to draw some strength from the scriptures here. So we're going to start looking at 2 Kings Chapter 6, starting with verse 24. Now it came about after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. This is right in the middle of all kinds of miracles being done by the prophet Elisha. And this is a season of intensity when the king had decided to besiege Samaria. To besiege the city meant he brought his army and they surrounded the whole city. The purpose of a siege was long-term, relentless warfare to cut off supply lines so the people inside would eventually give up. And then when they gave up, the walls, I mean the doors would be opened and they could come in and take the city. A siege is something that is intended to be for the long haul. Because if you think about it, how long would it take for a city to run out of supplies? How long would it take? Well, first of all, consider any natural city today. It will take a while if you cut off the supply lines, take a while before the grocery stores were empty. Take a while before your cupboard was empty. But over a period of time, if your supply lines are cut, then you're going to be in some serious trouble, right? And all you military men know that's one strategy of warfare is to cut the supply lines, all right? So when the supply lines are cut and the city is surrounded, it also affects the morale of the people inside because being under siege means day after day after day of warfare. And it means it, there looks like things are not getting better, but they're getting the same or worse as you go on. So now let's look at the next verse. There was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and a fourth of a cab of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. Now let me tell you, folks, donkey's head was unclean eaten. They were not allowed to eat that. But in desperate times, people will eat whatever's handy. They will eat anything to the point that these people were also entering into cannibalism because having had nothing to eat for such a long time. It also says the donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver. This is price gouging. So not only is there not enough to eat and being forced to eat what normally you would have thrown away, now you can't even afford to eat it if you could buy it. 
So these are some desperate, desperate times that have come upon the people of the city of Samaria. Isn't that right? I mean, that's, that's pretty bad. That's extreme shortages. A very difficult time. Let's skip down to verse 31. Then the king said, May God do so to me, and more also, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphath, remains on him today. So see, the king says, It's all that prophet's fault. The reason we're in so much trouble is because of the prophet Elisha. So he swears, I'm just going to take his head. You know, I've had it with all of the disaster, everything going on. The prophet Elisha is going to die. You know what? In times of pressure and a disappointment, people get mad at the pastor. They get mad at the church. They get mad at the teaching of the Bible. They get mad at God. I mean, you know, I'm telling you the truth. You look for someone to blame in times of stress and disappointment and desperation. Everybody's looking for a scapegoat. Who can I blame for this? You know, that's how, that was one of the things that happened, how that uh, Hitler was able to convince people that the Jewish people were the source of their problems. And when any time, you've seen this happen over the years, somebody will just malign one person or one people group and say that's who to blame to turn all of opinion against them. So you've got the king. He says the problem is it's Elisha the prophet. He's the reason that we're in this terrible, terrible state that we're in. You know, and I have seen in my life, I've watched people that they're going through hard times. I mean, we've ministered to them. We've counseled them. We've prayed for them. We've prophesied to them. We've stood by them. And when things are tough, I've seen the first people they turn on are the ones that were trying to get them out of the mess. The first ones they've turned on are the ones that prophesied to them. How many of you have ever gotten upset because your prophecy didn't happen yet? Okay. People that have said, well, I, had, I don't want any more prophecies. I don't want you to tell me anything else again because that stuff doesn't work. And I've seen people throw out whole prophecies, whole teaching, leadership, favorite, you know, teachers in the body of Christ, throw them out because of personal disappointment because it didn't look like it was going the way it was supposed to go. Do you know, now's not the time to throw out your prophecies. It's not the time to throw out your prophets. It's time to hold on to them because that's what's going to get you through to the next season of your life. Let's look down at verse 32. Now Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. And the king sent a man from his presence. But before the messenger came to him, Elisha said to the elders, Do you see how this son of a murderer has sent to take away my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold the door shut against him. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? I think that's pretty good that God bails out the Elisha, you know, gives him a word of knowledge and says, somebody's coming to kill you, so get ready. And so, he, you know, Elisha in that place of being the major prophet at the time, you know, God is protecting him because he's the one that's declared the word of the Lord. He is the one that's, that's calling the nation back to righteousness. So here comes the messenger in verse 33. While he was still talking with them, behold, the messenger came to him, and he said, Behold, this evil is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? You know, folks, sometimes when people get disappointed and things aren't working out, they blame the pastor, they blame the teacher, but then they say, You know, God is never going to come through for me. This is all God's fault anyway. I've heard people rage against God. It's God's fault this bad thing happened. It's God's fault this disappointment happened. 
And you know what? You don't get anywhere by raging against God. For one thing, it's falsely accusing him of things he has not done. You see, one thing, folks, you and I need to understand is God cannot be anything but good to you. He is good. That's all he can be is good to you. And being good to you may not always mean giving you everything you want the way you want it. You know, there are times small children want things that are desperately bad for them. And a good parent won't give them to them. All right? But we want to trust in the goodness of God. Failed expectations will lead to offense and betrayal. Failed expectations. When God doesn't do things the way you expect, when your pastor, when your leader doesn't do things the way you expect, it opens a door for offense and betrayal. This happens all the times in relationships. What led, think about it, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed the Lord Jesus, what led to that? Offense and failed expectations because Judas expected that Jesus was going to bring the kingdom in a different way than Jesus was doing it. And because he didn't like the way it was happening, it led him to betray the Lord. And we've got to watch out any times that we ourselves find ourselves being disappointed by what's happening in our lives. We're disappointed in how things are going on the job, how things are going in our ministry, how things are going in our family. And we need to watch out that we don't let go of the allegiances that God has put in our lives, right? And we don't let go of the Word of God and the promises that He has made. So the messenger, has he has given up. He was like, we're all, you know, it's all from God. Let's all just die anyway. Now look, chapter 7, verse 1. Then Elisha said, listen to the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, a measure of fine flour will be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Isn't this awesome? The very next thing the Lord does is make a wonderful promise and says things are going to be better tomorrow. Not even in the sweet by and by, not in months to come, but he gives them word and says tomorrow things are going to be completely turned around. Whereas today a donkey's head is 80 shekels, you can have a container of fine flour for one shekel tomorrow. Well, it's a tremendous promise of abundance that's coming. Abundance that nobody understands how is going to come, folks. You see, God knows something that you don't know. You need to have that as one of the core parts of your value system, is God knows something that you don't know. That's why your part and my part is to remain in faith and to believe that he is faithful who is promised, because he knows something that you don't know. See, these guys, not Elisha didn't know what was going to happen next. All he knew is what God said, all right? And we have sometimes, we have looked at our situation and say, well, how is anything going to be any different? I don't see how God could do that. Folks, it's not about how. It is not about how. Our place is to believe God and it will be even as he has spoken. And so what's happened here? God not only promises it's going to be abundance, but he says it's going to happen tomorrow. Do you know that Hebrews 4.2 says, For we have had good news preached to us just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them because they did not mix it with faith. You see, Elijah is giving forth an accurate, tremendous, prophetic word. Tomorrow is going to be a financial windfall. A financial change is going to happen tomorrow. But who believes it? 
when you're in a desperate situation, when there is price gouging, when there is lack and shortage and siege and warfare and nobody around you has anything and it's desperate times, who's going to believe the word of the Lord? You see, that's where the challenge is. Who's going to believe it? Well, the word also says in James 1, 7, for the man who doubts ought not to expect that he'll receive anything from the Lord. Folks, when God says, this is what's going to happen, our response is, yes, sir, be unto me according to your word. I don't know how that's going to happen, but you said it is. You're not a man that you should lie. It's going to happen. I agree with it in Jesus' name. Mix faith with it. You see, the same word was spoken to a group of people. How many people that heard the word that day believed it? Who believed it? Not many people believed it. And see, and that's when you can get into a dangerous situation is when you actually hear the prophetic word and don't believe it. When you don't believe it, you have cut yourself off from receiving Other people might have received the fulfillment of the word who never even heard the prophecy. Do you know there's a greater responsibility upon those who hear the word of God? It's true. Because you think about it. God makes a promise and he is saying that so you have the opportunity to mix faith with it and claim it and make it your own. You have an opportunity to grow and expand and stretch in faith. Other people receive the benefit of the blessing and they go, weren't I lucky? Wasn't I lucky? Wasn't that a coincidence? And you know it was God that was moving on their behalf, all right? Folks, we want to be men and women who hear the word and even in desperate situations have enough character and trust in the love of Almighty God to know that when God's spoken it, that's it. Mix faith to it and we'll see it happen. I mean, I've had some tremendous things prophesied to me that I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I better believe that. (laughs) You know, I better believe that because God is going, you know what? It's believe and receive, doubt and do without. I want to believe and receive. And especially if you're in a desperate situation like these people are and the word of the Lord says, here is change coming into your situation. Instead of going, well, I don't see how. Well, that's not what they said on TV. Well, I don't understand this. And how, you know what? Be quiet. (laughs) Say, yes, I believe. And don't go there anymore. Let's look at verse 2. The royal officer on whose hand the king was leaning answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? That is, I don't see any way that ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. Folks, that was a bad thing to say because Elisha says, Behold, you will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat of it. You see, God's going to vindicate his name. He's going to vindicate his name, and he's going to do what he said he's going to do. And whether or not you or I participate in it depends upon our own response, right? You know, why would somebody say such a thing? Because when you realize this man had been under long-term pressure, and long-term disappointment, it seemed impossible. How in the world could they have anything else when they had all the supply lines cut off? How could things be any different when the, when the army is still sitting outside waiting to swallow them up? How could things be any different? The promise seems impossible because of long-standing pressure. 
Folks, it's the things that you and I have been dealing with, not for a week or two, but things we've been dealing with for months or years. Things have been long-standing. That is the pressure to not believe, the pressure to throw it out. I mean, everybody gets excited when you first get the prophetic word the first week. That's great. But when it's been two weeks, three weeks, five weeks, ten weeks, four years, eight years, and you haven't seen that thing happen yet, it is real easy to throw it away and choose not to believe it any longer. God's looking for men and women of character and perseverance, right? And you know what? God is developing us and making us grow up to where we're strong. There are too many hothouse flowers in the body of Christ. They're there as long as all conditions are perfect. But as, as men, you know, once there's a little bit of a change, a little bit of a challenge, then a lot of those people, they back off and walk with the Lord no more. Believe and receive. When it looks impossible because of long-term pressure, because of no outward circumstances, it is real easy to adopt a poverty mentality. This is a real problem that we have in a lot of people in the, in the church. A poverty mentality. A poverty mentality only sees the current you know, statement, uh, the current bank statement, how much money is not in your wallet right now. The bills that are laid upon your desk are hung upon your refrigerator. All the poverty mentality is see, sees is what's not happening. All that poverty can see is the siege that's out there and the fact that a donkey's head is 80 shekels, all right? A poverty mentality looks at a current situation as permanent. And many times people will even say things like, I never get ahead, it never works out for me. Well, you know, that's just for rich people. Well, you know, that's just for... And things start coming out of people's mouths that locate them and tell them you have a poverty mentality. A poverty mentality is negative and suspicious and is not surprised when things don't work out. Well, I knew that was happening. I knew it. I knew it. Folks... It's a poverty mentality. It's also fearful and worried that its needs are not going to get met. Nervous about it. You know what's a great example of an abundance mentality? It's Peter. When Peter was arrested and he is sleeping between, he, he's chained up and he's asleep. Tomorrow morning he's scheduled to be beheaded. How many of you think it'd be easy to sleep the night before you're scheduled to be beheaded? If you had a, an abundance mentality, you're like, okay, well, whatever, we'll go to sleep. A poverty mentality stays up nights and worries and frets and what's going to happen and how can we change it. It's fearful. It's negative. A poverty mentality is also jealous of other people that don't seem to be suffering. <coughs> jealous of people who seem to be getting ahead. I've given this illustration before. Some of you have heard it. Is what they tell me is that if you're going crabbing and if you have a bucket and you put one crab in there, he will try to climb his way out. But if you put a second crab in the same bucket, they will pull each other back down. And you never have to put a lid on top because somebody else will make sure nobody gets away. I've seen that same behavior happen among God's people. One person starts to get blessed. And here come the sour grapes already. Well... It don't work for me. Psh. Works for them. Psh. Y'all, 
That's crabby mentality. Let's not have that. Let's, let's put that away. You know what? Why should we want to pull people down if God's blessing them? Why pull them down if God is releasing things into their lives? There's been times over the, year, over the years I've had church people tell me, well, God really blessed me with a promotion or I got a new job or I did this, but I didn't want to tell anybody. I'm like, God forbid. You, you brag on what God has done in your life and don't you be ashamed for it. Don't you be ashamed for it. Well, I don't want those people to feel bad because they don't have anything. Look, we're not bragging on you. We're bragging on God. I feel like if I'm in a position of real need, I am encouraged to know God answered somebody else's prayer. I'm encouraged to know if I need a miracle, I'm, I think it's wonderful if you get one. That means I'm next. I've got to be next, right? Because God's still passing them out. Folks, don't get crabby and jealous and resentful of somebody else's blessing. Instead, applaud them, celebrate them. And know that yours is going to come next. It's got to come next. You see, when God designs for all people to cross over, not just part of them. That's what happened when the Israelites came out of Egypt, right? They didn't just, the whole plan was not just for Moses to get across or whatever. The whole plan was for everybody to get across. And when you're joined in a local church that believes in healings and miracles and prosperity, our goal is that nobody gets left out. Our goal is that everybody enters into the fullness of what God has for them. Because what good is it if half the people don't get there? That ain't good enough. That's not good enough. That's not good enough if I get it and you don't. I don't think so. That's not good, uh, good if the, the men get it and don't, women don't. <sighs> not until everybody gets it. Right? It's an inclusive gospel is that, in that respect. We want everybody who calls upon the name of the Lord to enter into the fullness of what God has for them. All right. A person with a poverty mentality feels unfairly treated. Everybody gets the raise but them. Everybody gets the perks but them. Everybody gets whatever but them. Folks, sometimes God will deliberately put you in a test to see what it takes to offend you. There are people who are in current tests right now. You're in tests right now. We've had tests of miscommunication going on the past several weeks. We've had tests of jealousy going on. We've had tests of offense going on. We've had tests of letting go of your faith and, and belief. You know what? Just determine the past. That's all. Just determine I'm passing everything. I'm getting straight A's in all my testing. All right? And let me tell you something. Don't look at me and say, you ain't going through testing. Oh, yes, I am. I'm going through testing as well. But I intend to pass. How do you pass your test? By doing what you've been trained to do in the Word of God, by keeping your attitude right, doing everything that we've been instructed to do already, all right? Hold fast, hold fast in faith, believe God, and keep doing the right things. You know, most people, if they just do what they knew was right to do, they succeed. Most people know what to do, they just don't do it. I don't feel like it. Oh, come on. There's lots of times you don't feel like doing the right thing, but you do it. If you're mature, you do it, right? Okay. Poverty mentality feels unfairly treated. You can't feel unfairly treated unless you're self-centered. Isn't that right? If you are other-centered, you're not thinking about, well, I didn't win anything in the bill pay thing tonight. Self-centered feels like, well, I didn't win. 
other-centered says, oh, great, those people won. See? A poverty mentality is all about what's in it for me. Where's my, po where's my portion? Where's my reward? And it's also very focused upon the current challenge and cannot see anything past it. I keep telling people, folks, in a couple of months, you're going to see some real change. Don't bail right now in a couple of months. I promise you, you're going to see some positive change that's going to happen in your life. There are some things I know that are in the works, naturally speaking. There are some things just watching the pattern of God, how he is leading us and what's going on. There's prophetic words we've had. I'm telling you, hold fast and don't bail. Some positive change is coming into your life. Let's not be like the royal officer who says, I don't see how that's going to happen. Let's just believe the word of the Lord, that positive things are about to release, be released. doesn't matter if you can understand how or not. Amen. All right. A poverty mentality is so focused on right here and now, just can't really see anything else. You know, maybe hearts have been broken and hope has been deferred for so long, it's just too hard to believe again. Too, too much has happened. You know, that is a limiting mentality that, folks, we've got to get healed and delivered and move forward so that God can do the things he's promised in our lives. A poverty mentality reveals a love deficit. You cannot feel that you're being treated unfairly if you are full and confident that God loves you with an everlasting love. Because you're gonna, your security comes from the love of God, not from outward circumstances. Anytime you start to feel like you're being done wrong, you're being shortchanged, you're being left out, you're pointing to a love deficit in your own heart. Think about this. You know what? When Jesus was walking on the earth, he told his disciples one time, he said, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That scripture always startles me. He had nowhere to lay his head. He's not complaining because he don't have a room at the Hilton. He's saying, I don't have anywhere to rest. But Jesus does not have a poverty mentality, and he does not have an attitude of I'm not being treated right. Even when he was being treated unjustly, you don't see the attitude in him of y'all don't know how to treat me. Isn't that true? If I step on your toes, we'll just pray for God to heal them, all right? <laughs> Let's think about it. If it's too hard, I want to get down to where we live. If it's too hard to trust God, you know you should, you'd like to, but it's too hard to trust God. That means that you're not confident in his love for you. It means that we need an infusion of his love. When you know that you're completely loved, there is a security that comes into your life. When you're not sure, that's what causes that uneasiness to come forward. Where are you having trouble trusting the Lord? Where are you having trouble that expressing confidence that God is going to take care of you? Maybe it's financially, maybe it's relationships, maybe it's health, whatever it is. Where is it that you're not sure that he's going to come through for you? This is a place where you need a revelation of God's love for you. That's exactly what is required. It can also, when we can't trust God, it can also be because of our own sense of unworthiness. We feel like all the things we haven't done right lately. Or we feel like, well, I've got this sin in my life. I can't get the victory over. And we feel there are other things, reasons why God should not come through for us. 
And so we become our own worst enemy when God wants to treat you with mercy and loving kindness. And we won't let him because we're like, well, God, I have this problem. Or I haven't done this enough. Or I haven't done that enough. God never wants to deal with you except for through salvation and repentance. But when it comes to dealing with you as far as uh, his moving in your life, it's not based upon what you have done. It's based upon what Jesus Christ has done. And that's where it has got to be firmly established. We get things from God because of what Jesus has done, not because of what we have done. And if you're still going along, well, I didn't fast enough, I didn't pray enough, I should have done this, I should have, you know, that is going to disqualify yourself. Your faith, your heart will condemn you. You won't be able to receive from God when the whole time it's not God's fault because he's reaching out to you in love. But we have not been able to receive it when we're like that. So we've got to, if this unworthiness is, is staying in the way, then that stuff's got to go. We'll have to set that aside. We're going to deal with that a little bit later. Our own experiences with our earthly father can also cause us to not really expect much from Father God. If you had a father, your natural father was a guy who maybe he could not make enough money. Maybe he got fired or sick or whatever, and he could not provide for you. It's going to be hard for you to believe that Father God wants to come through for you financially. If you had a father who was absent, who was passive, who wasn't around, it's hard to believe that Father God cares that much about you and wants to be involved in your life right now. There, we always view God through the filter of the experience we had as children, and none of us had a perfect father. Some of us had abusive fathers. And all of that stuff colors how we see God. You see, we don't see God as he is. We see him through a filter. And that's how come when we are not seeing him accurately, the filter is what's got to change. Not God. The filter's got to change, right? So any area that you and I are having trouble in trusting God and believing for him to keep his word to us, you have to go back and look to What's my attitude towards my natural dad? Did I feel like my natural dad kept his word to me? Did I feel like that he, would, that he could or wanted to take care of me? If we don't believe what God has said about himself out of his word, then this is unbelief. Unbelief is something that you find in a lot of believers. <laughs> believers need to quit being unbelievers, right? And become men and women of faith. And belief. Let's look now at verse 3. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why do we sit here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, then the famine's in the city, and we will die there. If we sit here, we die also. Now come, therefore, let's go over to the camp of the Arabians. If they spare us, we'll live. If they kill us, we will but die. Well, sometimes if I've been, I've been in that situation myself. It's like, well, it's not doing any good to sit here. You know, you're sitting here in this situation. It's going from bad to worse. And so you start looking for an alternative. Well, if I go over there, it could be a disaster there too. But I'm for sure going to, you know, lose it here. So maybe it'll work over there. You know, they did not have a word from God that told them to go over to the Arameans. They just reached a point of personal, you know, being fed up and at the end of their rope and said, well, we might as well give it a shot. If we die, we die, but at least we know for sure we're going to die here. But over there, maybe we won't die. Folks, sometimes that's all God's waiting for is for you to get sick and tired of being sick and tired. For you to get fed up 
with being in that situation that has limited you and restricted you. You look at it, there's no way out, and finally you go, you know, let's do something else. Sometimes you just need to be put in a situation to where you're uncomfortable enough to where you finally decide, let's try another avenue. Now, if God told you to stay there, that's one thing. But you remember the story of when Elijah was being fed by the ravens? You know, God told him to go out there and wait by the brook and that they would feed him. So he's down there by the water. There is the water. And the ravens are bringing food to him every day, right? Every day, back and forth, every day. He's watching that brook. It's getting lower. It's getting lower. It's getting lower. You know what? At one point, the brook dried up. Revelation. Move. (laughs) He could have sat right there. But revelation is, resources had dried up. It must be time for something else. I heard someone say not too long ago, the difference between being in warfare and being in a test from God. You know, the warfare is when the enemy's trying to destroy you. Test from God is when God's trying to promote you. You know, two different things going on. In warfare, there is no provision for your needs. In a test... There is provision for your needs. It can be the same outward circumstances. It looks the same. But either the brook's drying up or the ravens are coming. That's something just to take home and meditate on. That's your law, okay? Am I in warfare or has God got me in a test and trying to promote me? There was, um, I had an experience here just a day or two ago that I was thinking, okay, God. Is it time to stay in this direction or is it time to go in a different direction? Open my Bible and there's my answer. All right there, the verse is talking about God's provision coming through, staying put, standing strong. I'm like, gotcha, gotcha my answer. Got it. We're going to stay put and believe God. All right. These guys, these lepers had no instruction. They had not heard the promise. They just made up their mind to do something about their situation. I think a lot of Christians need to make up their mind to do something about their situation instead of being passive. Now, what's really interesting is let's read the next couple of verses and see that once they decide to do something, at the very same time, God did something. That's pretty good timing, don't you think? Look at verse 5. They arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Arameans. When they came to the outskirts of the camp of the Arameans, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Arameans to hear a sound of chariots and a sound of horses, even the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites and the king of the Egyptians to come to us. Therefore they arose and fled when? In the twilight. Y'all, how long is twilight? Twilight is not very long. It's when the sun has just dipped down the horizon and it's still you can still see. That's the same period of time the lepers decided to go to the camp was the same time God decided to move the Arameans out. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Maybe if they had decided to go at lunchtime, maybe God would have moved at lunchtime? Yes! Because God had already decreed that tomorrow is the miracle. But these guys finally said, Okay, I've had enough. Let's move forward. And they're right in the timing of God. I'm telling you, God orchestrates things beautifully. God knows how 
to get everything to fall together into a beautiful tapestry. You look at it and you're going, wow, look at all those elements that came together and it's all part of the master plan. You see, that's one of the things that's so great about God is he lives outside of time, outside of time. He's not controlled by it. He steps in, pulls out. We're restrained by that. To God, he looks at the whole thing. And he's like, we're set up. We got the siege going on. Okay, we got, I'm going to give them a word right here. They get a word right there. It's going to happen tomorrow. Okay, you're not getting it. Okay, uh, lepers, you fed up yet? The lepers are fed up. Okay, let's go over there. Great. Same time, I'm going to come in and deal with the Aramaeans. Maybe God is just about to deal with your Aramaeans. Maybe it's twilight and it's time to do something. Let's look at the rest of this. Verse 7. They fled in the twilight. They left their tents and their horses and their donkeys, even the camp just as it was, and fled for their life. When these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they entered one tent and ate and drank and carried from there silver and gold and clothes and went and hid them. And they returned and entered another tent and carried from there also and went and hid them. Then they said to one another, we're not doing right. This day is a day of good news, but we're keeping silent. If we wait till morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let's go tell the king's household. So they've got all this booty, all this food. They've had plenty to eat now, plenty to drink. Now it's time. Let's tell somebody else about our fortune. Let's skip down to verse 15. The king's messengers went after them to the Jordan. And behold, all the way was full of clothes and equipment, which the Arameans had thrown away in their haste. Then the messengers returned and told the king. So the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. Then a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now the king appointed the royal officer on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate, but the people trampled on him at the gate, and he died just as the man of God had said who spoke when the king came down to him. That's pretty serious, huh? He didn't believe it. He saw it. He didn't get to eat of it just exactly as the prophet had said. Folks, God has spoken some tremendous things about us as a church and about many of you I know about prophetic words and promises and things that you're holding on to God for. I don't want you to miss out. I don't want you to negate anything that God has promised to you. So I really believe that getting rid of a poverty mentality is a, is a progressive thing. You know, I think it's something that we just kind of grow in from time to time. And tonight, I want us to take some steps to get rid of that poverty mentality and unbelief. You know, so that we really have an abundance mentality and add to the faith and believe with wholehearted acceptance what God said is going to happen. And we'll see it manifest. We'll get to eat of the good, right? I want us to put away whining, complaining, criticizing. Because that indicates unbelief, right? Uh-huh. I, I want to motivate your soul to operate in faith. Come on, guys. Anybody can get critical and get whiny and feeling sorry for themselves. It's not that hard to do, right? What you need to do is stir your soul up and say, we're going to believe God and put a rein over your emotions and your thoughts and bring them into a line with what God has said in his word. All right. Think about what has God promised? What has he said? Well, for one thing, the Lord has said in Jeremiah 31, 3, 
I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. One thing, God loves you tremendously. If God loves us tremendously, then we don't have any room for poverty mentality. We don't have any room for unbelief. We need to be confident in His love for us. Deuteronomy 33:27 says, The eternal God is a dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And He drove out the enemy from before you. Psalm 27:10, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Even if your dad was not able to or did not choose to take care of you as a child growing up, God promises that even if their parents have done you wrong or forsaken you, He will take you up. You see, God is, first of all, Father. And a loving Father wants to take care of His children. Hosea 14, 3 and 4 says, For in you the orphan finds mercy. And the Lord says, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has been turned away from them. Psalm 37, 25, I've been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. God is a good father. His kids aren't going to be starving on the streets. And Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Folks, these are the things that God has said to us concerning his attitude towards us. And we have been spiritual orphans, but we've been adopted by Father God. God has drawn us with loving kindness. He loves us with an everlasting love. And he wants us to walk in the realization of that love so that we'll be completely confident towards him. There will not be any part of us that's walking in fear, that's walking in doubt. There will be no part of us that's unsure that he's going to come through for us. The problem is that if you don't have that type of relationship with the Lord, either you've never been born again or you've not developed your relationship with the Lord, you don't really know him, so you can't trust him. You can't trust people you don't know. Isn't that right? It's really hard to trust somebody that you don't know. And so it shows that there's... Trust takes time to be built, and so our trust comes through getting to know the Lord and what He has said about Himself and about us. Another problem, excuse me, excuse me, is sin. When sin causes you to feel unworthy and ashamed. (coughs) A third problem is fear. (coughs) It's when you're afraid God's not going to come through for you. Just like your parents did not come through for you. Keela is going to take over with his microphone. You can very much just read it. Okay. Okay, the next thing is the way to God is a person, Jesus Christ. Jesus sacrificed his own life so that you and I might be forgiven for our, of our sins against God and one another. He was raised from the dead so that we could be spiritually transformed from life to death. Romans 10, 19, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you would be saved. Romans 10, 
Um, also another scripture, Romans 10, um, 13. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. And again, going back to what Donna says, is believing for Jesus Christ, that he's in heaven interceding for each one of us. And he's going to intercede that we have provision. The Bible says that God knows that what we're aware of and what our needs are, even when we don't necessarily pray them. And as Donna has said before, that God, as a father, he cares for each one of us. So God is going to make a way, and God is going to have provision for each one of us. And we just have to be patient and wait on the Lord, not be moved by our circumstances, not be moved by what we see, or even negative words that come into our minds, and even a spirit of fear that sometimes may come upon us when we get ready to transition into the next round. I personally experienced and I got ready to do something a little different. Soon as I really got ready to make that commitment, a spirit of fear hit hit me. And I said, God, is this you warning me? You know, what what's going on here? And actually it was the devil getting scared. So he came and tried to scare me with a spirit of fear not to do it but I had to trust God and know that he's if anything is standing in my if anything is going to harm me that he's going to move that thing out of out of the way for me but because there was an open door to go in this direction I knew in my heart and my mind and I trusted God that this was the the way to go and we also teach in this church many times don't be moved by your emotions don't be an emotional person person but have faith and move off your faith and move on the word of God and what the Bible says for you to do. That's where you have your confidence. Don't have your confidence in yourself or the emotions that you feel. Those come to and fro. And even as I gave the example that um, Satan through demons can even come through and influence your emotions. But you got to stand strong on what the word of God says and have faith that he's going to move, that he is intervening for us and that he's providing for each one of us. And as Donna says, when we're being chest tested, then we know that there the sun is going to shine tomorrow, that tomorrow is coming for us. There's always hope. We're not going to stay in that valley. We're not going to stay in that low place. That's a temporary place for us to reside and for us to reign. But the sun will come up in the morning for each one of us. Okay, if you guys would uh, agree with me and join with me in prayer. Oh, God in heaven, I need to know you, and I need to trust you, and I want you to accept me as your own child. So I call upon the name of the Lord, Jesus, for my salvation. I confess that Jesus is. Lord, and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. Thank you for adopting me into your family. Now, God Almighty is my Father. Help me to live for you under your leadership and reveal yourself to me. Now, Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Thank you that the door that you that the door to your house is always open for me. 
and I have not have to fear your loving presence. Tell me and you tell me in Psalms 45:10 to let go of my identity. Connect and connect to my father's house and connect it to my father's house so that I can enter into your love. You'll, I come to you as a child in need of your help so I can release and forgive my father and be set free from fear. In each way, my father hurt and disappointed me, which caused my heart to harden and not trust in you. I forgive him. In every way, he did not come through. For me, I release him. And you may want to be specific and think of those things that you want to release him of in your heart. Holy Spirit, touch that place in my soul, was wounded and angry, and heal me. Your word says, if I confess my sins, you are faithful and just to forgive me of all sins, to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I confess my sin of unbelief and of having a poverty mentality. I confess negativity, complaining, criticism, and blaming others. I confess any other sin which causes me to shrink back from you in unworthiness, shame, or fear. And you might want to um, think about any specific things that you're dealing with right now. And I confess my sins. They are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And I am forgiven. I renounce the fear, unbelief, poverty mentality, and condemnation. And I choose to be a person of faith and to have an abundance mentality based on the promises of God. And in Jesus' name, we take authority of every spirit of fear, unbelief, poverty mentality, and condemnation. We break the power and cancel the assignment off these people in Jesus' name. I command you to go in Jesus' name. Your right to exist here any longer has been broken. In the name of Jesus, we declare freedom for these people. God, tonight we declare that we are free from poverty mentality. We declare we are free from unbelief. In the name of Jesus, Father, we declare that we are men and women of faith. We are men and women of power. We are men and women, Lord, who trust in you, and we will see your goodness in the land of the living. Lord, we will see the blessings of God fulfilled, everything that you have promised and everything that you have spoken to our hearts in Jesus' name. Father, in Jesus' name, I command all spirits 
of opposition, all spirits of agitation. They've been harassing this people to go from them now in the name of Jesus. I command every spirit that's been set, trying to sabotage our plans, to sabotage the spirit of destiny, trying to sabotage the work that God is doing in Jesus' name. I take authority over it. I break your power. And I say, go from us now in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I cancel every spirit, every assignment against God's people. And I declare no weapon formed against us shall prosper in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Father, we are not orphans, but we are children of Almighty God. So, Father God, I ask you right now to come reveal your love and your fatherhood to all of us. Fill every void inside of us with your love. Lord, every place where the enemy has been sent forth out of us, God, pour in your love. That we'll know that we are children of the Most High. That you withhold no good thing from us. In Jesus' name. Father, we declare we are ready for the abundance that you have promised. We're ready for it. We say yes and amen to every prophetic word we've had. We say yes and amen to every promise of the word of God. It's going to be to us as you have declared. We say yes, we'll see it. It'll not just be something postponed and delayed that our kids or our grandkids see. But God, we're going to walk in it in Jesus' name. For we're choosing to stand up and say, it's going to be to me in my household. It's going to be in my lifetime. This is a season for the fulfillment of the prophetic words. This is a season for things, all that has been sown in previous years. This is a season of harvest to begin to come up. For Lord God, you are faithful and you are Lord of the harvest. And, Lord God, we're not looking at the natural circumstances. We're not looking at the checkbook. We're not looking at what's, at what's happening or not happening. We're not moved by those things that we see. Lord God, we're looking to your promise. We're looking to your love and to your faithfulness. And it doesn't matter. All these situations can change overnight. For God, even as some of us are standing up right now and saying, it may be twilight, but I'm moving. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to make a change. And we know at the same time, God, you are moving in the realm of the Spirit. You are causing transformation to happen that's even reverberating throughout the natural realm. And in Jesus' name, your angels are being loose to cause circumstances to change in Jesus' name. So our, our prophecies are going to come to pass. Hallelujah. Father, I declare it shall be unto me according to your word. What you have said, what you have said, you're not a man that can lie. What you've said is happening. Father, I declare this is a group full of miracle workers and healers. This is a people who are abundantly blessed financially, who are generous, who have an ability to give in tremendous ways. This is a people who supports missions. This is a people who have the word of the Lord within their mouth. This is a people who have healing power within their hands. This is a people who know the strength of Almighty God. They cast out devils. They speak with tongues. They raise the dead. This is a people who are world changers in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. These are a people who are strong and they are bold because they know their God and they do exploits in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Father, we say we are who you say that we are, not who we thought we were. You're the manufacturer, you know best. 
And I thank you, Father God, that you know more about us than we know about ourselves. That, yes, you have seen every shortcoming, you've seen every weakness, but you've also seen every release of grace and provision that you have made in our lives, that you may be glorified. And, Father, just as Catherine Kuhlman said, if you can use nothing, here I am, use nothing. God, we're saying, here we are. You know our weaknesses, you know our shortcomings and our limitations, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And God, your word said that nothing shall be impossible to those who believe. So we say yes and amen. It'll be as you have said. It will be. It cannot help but be, for the word of the Lord has spoken it. In Jesus' name. And we declare that this is a year of abundance. This is a year of prosperity. This is a year of breakthrough. This is a year, God, of tremendous miracles and deliverance in Jesus' name. This is a year for answered prayer. This is a year for prodigals to come home. This is a year, Lord God, for businesses to be launched. This is a year for millions to be made. Hallelujah. This is a year, Lord, for for terminal diseases to be reversed. This is a year, Lord God, for miracles being done by the hands of ordinary men and women. This is a year, Lord God, we begin to walk in great strength and confidence in who our God is. Hallelujah. This is a year, Lord God, that we begin to know who you are and what you really intended for our lives to be all about. This is a year, Lord God, of fulfilling destiny. We are ready for abundance in Jesus' name. And so, Lord God, as we are ready and as we're waiting, we encourage and we bless one another. And we support and we strengthen one another. And, Lord God, we say we're not going to be a crabby bunch of people that pull each other down. We're going to encourage. And, God, we refuse jealousy. We refuse envy in Jesus' name. We refuse that pettiness in Jesus' name because you are God of abundance. And, God, whatever you've given to one, you've got plenty to give to everybody else. There is no shortage in this earth. There is no lack in this earth. And, Father God, your word says when you come, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And here we are, Lord God, men and women of confidence. We've got smiles in our faces. We're not anxious. We're not upset. We're not worried. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right in Jesus' mighty name. It's going to be all right. Amen. 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 Well, thank you, Keela, for helping me out there.